It's a, a delight to be with you. Love this group. And uh, tonight, hopefully, with Hashem's loving grace, we're going to complete discourse number two, Torah Bays. And this evening's lesson, and last, it's the finale. It's the grand finale. It's called Rabba's Whale. Now, Rabbi Nachman didn't use the whale, the word whale. The Gemara uses the word kivra. Kivra is a fish. But when it's described what happens to this fish, it's based on this whole big metaphor. It's just, it can only be a whale. Okay, so let's get, first of all, let's get everybody on deck with, uh, so we can start on an even level. I'll do a quick, as we do uh, usually, uh, so do a quick review of previous lessons. In our previous lesson, we learned the concept of a connection with a tzaddik. And we discussed the huge difference between connecting to a tzaddik and an intermediary. We said connecting to a tzaddik is like being in strange enemy territory and having a scout to get you safely where you want to go. Uh, we don't know the lanes upstairs. The Gomorrah tells us about Shmuel. He was the first generation. Tamishka was called the Amora. It was uh, Shmuel and Naharda and Rav and Sur and Rabbi Yochanan, land of Israel. This was after the generation of the Tanoim, the Mishnaic sages, the first generation of the Gomorrah sages. And Shmuel says, I know the paths in heaven like I know the path in Naharda, my hometown. We can't say that. Uh, we could pray as fervently. We could pray. We do everything. But we can't say that we know the paths he did. So here's the thing. When we connect our prayers to a tzaddik like Shmuel, tzaddik like Rav, tzaddik like Rav Yochanan, like the Arizal, they know the paths upstairs and they know how to guide us, guide our prayers. We are praying to the Almighty. Rabbi Nachman says this over and over and over. In the first discourse, we talked about prayer to the Almighty. And even here, prayer to the Almighty. The difference between this is not what uh, we have what's called bisnagdim, that people that didn't understand Rabbi Nachman properly, didn't understand, didn't learn it properly, or they heard by hearsay. They didn't delve inside his books. This is not uh, what the other religions use as intermediary. We have to go through uh, some type of flesh and blood agent in order to get to, to, to Hashem. No, we have a direct thing. That can't be possible. That's proof. Rabbi Nachman is the father of the personal relationship with Hashem. Well, as we learn later, Rabbi Nachman talks about personal prayer. We get to the second part of Likotei Moran and Torah 25. It's all, it's all about personal prayer, personal prayer, personal prayer. Everything I teach on personal prayer, it all comes from Rabbi Nachman. So if Rabbi Nachman is telling us that we should spend an hour a day in personal prayer with the Almighty, then how he said, well, go back up and then get yourself an intermediary. No, it can't be. We're talking about, we say about a a tzaddik, that we connect our prayers, a righteous man, but connect our prayers to somebody on a really, really high level. We're talking about the League of Moses. And we mentioned last week that there were five souls that had an aspect of the soul of Moses. The first was Moses himself, and the second was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Moses brought down the written Torah. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, he brought down the esoteric Torah. After that was the Arizal, Yitzhak Luriaz Kedazi. And he brought down the Torah of Kabbalah. After him was the Baal Shem Tov. We're talking about 350 years ago. And the Baal Shem Tov brought down the Torah of Hasidus. And after that was Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman died at the time of the Napoleon Wars. Uh, Rabbi Nachman was born in 1772 and he died in 1810. He lived a short life of 38. The Arizal only lived till 38 also, but they did a magnificent amount of, of accomplishments by the time they lived. Okay, so these are are the, the tzaddikim, the five tzaddikim that have the torch of Moses. They, they like carry the torch in a relay race, carrying the torch. And the torch is a metaphor for the soul and the shaman. Uh, King Solomon says, nishmas Hashem, uh, the Hashem nishmas Adam, that the candle of Hashem is the human soul. So it's a, compared to a, a torch. And Rabbi Nachman also says cryptically, he says, my fire, he says in Yiddish, my fire will burn until Mashiach comes. Rabbi Nachman is indicating that he can do just as much, in fact, much, much more outside the flesh as he could do when his when his soul was limited in the flesh. And Rabbi Nachman is the tzaddik that is capable of connecting our prayers. So what we do before we pray, uh, we connect ourselves to Hashem, I bind myself to all the tzaddikim. So even if I don't know how to merit, I, I, I don't know how to... Uh, 
I don't know how to get myself to, to Joburg. So what do I do? I get on a plane. And there's a plane that knows how to fly from Tel Aviv to Joburg. So I come visit Fumani. I Fumani. I, they come and visit. Okay, the plane, take me there. All right. I don't, they, nobody expects me to walk or to swim, go from Israel all the way down. Okay, get on a plane. And this is exactly taking, putting our our prayers on a plane, getting on a plane with the tzaddik. And I imagine that tzaddik is the pilot and he's flying us to, to where we need to go. Okay, so even if a person is prayer as strong as a sword and as accurate as an arrow in a bullseye, by connecting to the tzaddik and to the level of the tzaddik, we uplift ourselves and we uplift our prayers and become much more effective in prayer because every single prayer that a person prays, it's a aspect, we use a metaphor of the divine presence, the limbs that, that, that we say that in, in Genesis, that uh, that we were born in the human image, that man was created in the human image. So that, what's this, uh, in, excuse me, in the divine image, what's this divine image? This imagery, for example, when the Torah talks about the eyes of Hashem and the ears of Hashem and that Hashem smells the the the, the of Hashem. When you talk about any type of physical imagery, this is only a metaphor because I stress every single lesson. I have to keep on stressing, keep on stressing. Whenever we talk about the divine, we talk about Hashem, the third principle, our Muna, as we learn over and over again, there defies all physicality. It is all spiritual. But since we are trapped in a spiritual body, our souls of a spiritual body, we can only comprehend, we can only grasp things that are brought down as physical metaphors, even though they're spiritual concepts, because our words, our speech, our speech is physical. So I can't feel my speech intangible, but if we speak it to, let's say, a recording program, we can see the sound waves. We can see our speech recorded. We can see our image being recorded on a camera. Even if something is, is sublime speech, it's, it, it's sublime physicality, but sound and light, even that light is sublime physicality, we can be measured on a spectrum, on, on the light waves, we have the light waves and we have sound waves. Okay, but sound is above all that, nothing that could be measured, nothing that is all, uh, it, it's all big metaphor. So every prayer, talking metaphorically, every prayer, builds another limb of the divine presence. And the divine presence equals the holy tabernacle. The divine presence is called the Shekhinah. The tabernacle is called Mishkan. It's the same root word. And this is the level of Malchut, this is the, the bottom sphere, that has the Malchut, which we learned in our first lesson in Torah 2. We gave a quick review, quick overview of the spheres, the 10 spheres, Malchut is the 10th sphere, the lowest sphere. It doesn't have any light of its own. It gets light from the upper spheres. But as we learned two weeks ago, we learned about the feminine waters. Feminine waters are the, uh, the prayer. It's the spiritual water that we give to the thirsty divine presence. And this water that, that, that enables her to look beautiful in front of the upper divine presence, and the female portion of the divine presence appears beautiful to the male portion of the divine presence. They come together in union and they have this born its abundance that comes down to us. And this is what our prayers do. This is our prayers. We can influence. She, the divine presence can be influenced from above, but we can also send the light of our prayers. We can send that up to the divine presence also. And that's what we learn. It's amazing if a person knew what his or her prayers accomplish, they pray all the time. They pray all the time. Okay, so that reason, we have to pray as much as we can and bring our prayers. We said that uh, building the divine presence with the Shekhinah is a, equal to the Mishkan, what the Torah tells us in the 39th chapter of Exodus, that they brought the tabernacle to Moses. All the people contributed Contributed portions, contributed but one considered gold and one fancy skins and 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 one diamonds and the the what whatever was needed for the tabernacle, they all brought it to Moses and Moses put the tabernacle together. But Moses used the components that he got from the children of Israel. The children of Israel, nobody had to put a tabernacle together. Moses took this great big divine holy Lego and put it together as a Tabernacle. Now, what is going to happen? 
when our prayers, and we don't think that we're going to learn today that we, it looks like our prayers aren't answered, but they, they, they're, they're not heard. They are certainly heard and they're certainly answered. But what happens when we pray enough, then, and the divine presence becomes full, it's not lacking any limb or nothing missing, not missing a finger or not missing a toe, then this Mishkan will be completed upstairs and Hashem will bring down the Holy Temple to Jerusalem here, and we'll have Mashiach. And this is this this is the Bible. So we really can, by our prayers, we can bring uh, Mashiach. Uh, Moses had helpers, Betzal and Oholiav, and they had a divine spirit. Hashem gave them a divine spirit, so they would knew, know how to build parts of the parts of the Mishkan, the Holy Tabernacle, with the gold and the silver and the copper that was brought to them. But they too could not put it together. They taught Moses. So um, Betzal and Oholiav are like the lesser tzaddikim. The tzaddikim, for example, that even the Shmuel, I mentioned Shmuel from the Gemara, but Shmuel is still not Moses. Okay, Shmuel, he, he knows how to do great things, but he's still not Moses. We only talk about the five tzaddikim on the level of Moses. All right, so our prayers give vitality to the divine presence, and we learn that our prayers have two powers. Our prayers can build the full entity of the divine presence, that's the holy side of Malchut, because we learn that there's the unholy side to the right and to the left. That's why our prayers have to be bullseye. The right side, that's the false amuna of Ishmael. It says, you don't need to pray, but Hashem listens to give you what you need. Have a muna, have a muna. Hashem's going to give you what you need anyway. And then there's the left side. That's the spiritual impurity of Esau. Esau is a heretic. Esau says, what are you praying for? And listen, you can see somebody, you can answer, your prayers aren't answered anyway. Forget about it. That is the two sides of unholiness, the extreme right side holiness, unholiness, extreme left side holiness. We have to stay in the middle, stay in the track of holiness. Okay. So now we continue. We continue and we're coming to what they say in French, the uh denouement, the, the, the exciting the conclusion of, of what we're learning. So Rabbi Nachman, he brings us a really cryptic sounding passage of the Gomorrah and tractate Baba Basra, page 73b. Uh, people think that cryptic Torah is in the esoteric Torah, in the Zohar and Kabbalah. There are things in the Gomorrah that are more secretive than in Kabbalah. Uh, because, in the, for example, the Zohar, the esoteric commentary of Torah, it, it says in Aramaic, when it says something, it says, Tochaze, come and see. Tochaze. Tochaze says, come and see. And this shows you, explains to you a, a certain uh, concept in uh, Kabbalah. The Gemara says, Toshma, come and hear. The Gemara would say, the Gemara says, come and hear. A seeing is more clear than hearing because you're seeing, you see something tangible. The image registers more clearly in the brain than just from someone hearing something. When you hear about something, it's not the same impression on the brain as seeing something. For example, uh, that's why a man has to guard his eyes and be careful about not letting other women because it gives such a, an impression on the brain. All right. So now Rabbi Nachman continues. If you're following along in the Hebrew, we are in Ot Chet. We're in letter Chet. Okay. And I'm going to start in Hebrew and then translate it. This is Rabba Babarchana. He was a Talmud of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan was the generation of Shmuel and Rav, as I mentioned, the first generation of Amoraim. We're talking about the late second century, uh, the early third century. And Rabba Babarchana, he has some very cryptic, he was a he was on, on a level, was, he brings down secrets from heaven and he clouds them. He tells about these tales. They look like, uh, they sound like Walt Disney tales, but they're very uh, the, the secret metaphors. And we'll see. Rabbi Barbachana, Chazinen Lahai Kavre, Kibbalotenu Kivyachola, Kudishbohu Bastarat Ponim. Rabbi Barbachana, he tells a personal story. Uh, Rabbi Nachman just alludes to the personal story. I'll tell you the story he tells. Uh, once while traveling on a ship, Rabbi Barbarchana saw this tremendous fish. Tremendous fish. I, okay, I call it a whale, but they, he called it a, a fish. But it gave her this big, tremendous fish. And 
there was sand on the back of the fish. There's a play on words here. Sand in Hebrew is chol. I'm going to tell you what the play on words is. And word by word, it's all play on words and it's all secrets, all indications. And that's so it's it's really a lot of work translating into English, but just be careful. We're going to learn this slowly. Uh, the fish had a, a whole mound of sand on its back, like dirt, and it settled on its back. And would say the way the Gumar says settled on back is yatfe. That's also a, a play on words. So what happened? Maybe you've heard. I know other nations have had this classic thing of the 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 whale that looked like an island. And had this island on its back. And you've seen maybe pictures of that. This is this Gemara. This is Rabbah Barbarchana. They all get it from Rabbah Barbarchana. So Rabbah Barbarchana says that he saw this way. They thought it was an island. And the people was all aboard a ship. And the people, they thought it was an island. And in the middle of this, the middle of the ocean, they come to this island. It looks like an island. And it's grand. And they, they feel that there's a meadow. It's got green. It's got trees. And since they thought it was dry land, they got off the ship. So they were hungry. They started cooking a meal. They cooked and baked. And they were cooking and baking on the ground. They make like a, you know, uh, in Hawaii, they make a luau. You know, dig a pit in the ground and you light coals and this and that. They dig a pit in the ground and made like a luau. They were carrying around a hibachi or, or a grill. They made a pit in the ground and they lit coals and they took leaves, the island, take whatever they could find on the island. And they're starting to cook and bake. But they're cooking and baking on the whale's back. It's not an island. So the whale, he feels this heat. And the whale's getting hot in the meanwhile. So what the whale does, what does the whale do when his back is get hot? He wants to cool it off in the water. So he turned around. So the whole island goes flying off. These guys go flying off the island. And Rabbi Barbakana says that if the ship wasn't close, we'd all drowned. He says what saved our lives is that ship was right close by. So they could all swim to ship. Say <laughs> they're cooking on the whales back. They thought it was an island, but they were at a big surprise. Okay. This is what Tursay tells us. So wait a second. Here you go. Rabbi Barbarachana comes with this town that tells, and this is not his only tale. He's got a lot of tales like this in the Gemara. And Rebbe Nachman, we will see. And Re- Rebbe Nachman will say we'd last in Torah Aleph. If you remember, we had another one of Rabbi Barbarachana's tales. They're going to be more. And, and they're they're dillies one by one. Okay, so what is going, what is, what's behind here? What's the imagery behind here? Uh, we have to look at what Rabbi Barbachana is telling us, and Rabbi Nachman interprets this. Rabbi Nachman interprets this, and we've never seen an, an interpretation. This is like we call Rabbi Nachman, Nachal Novea Makol Chachma, that Rabbi Nachman is the flowing the river, the source of wisdom. Rabbi Nachman had this wisdom like uh, Moses. Rabbi Nachman, he's the one that brought the Torah of Amuna to this generation, that all, most of our, our teachings of Amuna, they're based on Rabbi Nachman's teachings. But Rabbi Nachman says, uh, they're really not his teachings. They come from earlier sources, from the Gemara and from the Zohar, but just he brought them down, he brought them to the eye level of people. And he brought them to, so that Rabbi Nachman is really, Rabbi Nachman said that this generation would need it. Rabbi Nachman so prophetically said that in this generation before Mashiach, he took this generation, he said, learning Amuna would be so difficult. And he gave a metaphor. He said, learning Amuna in the generation before Mashiach is going to be trying to climb a glass wall with your fingernails. Okay, do that. Go up a glass wall to scale a glass wall with your fingernails. All right. This is why we spend all our time Amuna, Amuna, Amuna. And Amuna is for all mankind. And that's why our lessons for all mankind to bring us all to the to bring us all to the to Mashiach and to the correction of the world. And that's why Amuna is the first mitzvah of Torah, and Amuna is the first of the Noahide commandments. So Amuna is for all of humanity. And this is why all human okay. So back to Rabbi Barbarchana. Rabbi Barbarchana says that this fish, what was this fish? We thought it was an island. What's he telling us? Rabbi Nachman is telling us, wait a second. Here, we're looking at a fish. We're looking at a whale. There's a great, big, tremendous whale. We don't see a whale. We see an island. This is so profound. Look what's happening in every one of our lives today. We see trouble in our lives. We see wars. We see strife. We see sickness. We see income problems. They see divorces. See all this kind of stuff. And We're looking at islands. 
It's a wheel. Rabbi Nachman says this is a metaphor for the divine concealment. But there's only divine concealment. Hashem's playing hide and seek for those that look for him and those that develop a personal relationship with him. There is no more divine concealment. So this is what Rabbi Nachman is explaining what Rabbi Barbara Khanna was teaching. Here we are. Rabbi Barbara Khanna says about himself. He says, I'm a nincapoop. I see an island when an island is really a whale. Like us, we see difficulties. We see Holocaust. We see Inquisition. We see pogroms. It's all Hashem. It's all Hashem. Now, if a person has spiritual awareness, suppose a person had a terrible sickness and a person had a gangrenous foot and the surgeon says, listen, we're going to save your life, but you're going to lose a foot. All right. So sometimes a person will understand, okay, to save a life. And then they have to cut off a, a, a diseased limb. But he knows it's to save a life. Hashem does all these things, knew that from the opposition, the unholy side, it's no purpose in the world if Hashem just gives us a paved path to Mashiach and that's it. We get challenged every bit of the way. And we can see any time that had anything to do with Mashiach, there was crazy stuff happening with Joseph and, and the whole story about Judah and Tamar. Judah is the great grandfather of, of King David and how all the manipulations that Hashem has to fool the Satan in order to bring Mashiach. Because uh, Satan says, if it, Hashem, if you don't let me do what I do, if there's, if there's, no, if there's no sense to the world. Because Hashem promised when he created the world that there would be a perfect balance of good and evil. And that's a whole job in the world. People don't understand the job in the world. We are the only creation that have the body of a mammal and the soul of an angel. So now who's going to win the ball game, the body or the soul? And when the body overcomes, that's what's happened in the world today. So you have wars and you have strife and you have adultery and, and murder and stealing. When the soul overcomes, you have peace and you have harmony. And this is the whole message in uh, our new book, that the that, uh, the Noahide. Okay, and Moon of the Noahide, the, 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 whole, the whole purpose of the Noahide laws, the whole purpose of Torah's laws is harmony, bring harmony. And this is what kicks uh, up. It's shalom. We put the Torah back in the ark. We say all its paths, all its ways are ways of peace. Okay, so this is an indication of what it says in Psalms, Psalm 30, where King David says to Hashem, you hide your for your, hide your, for your countenance. You're, you're, uh, and Hashem says this in Deuteronomy 31. He says, if we don't act properly, he says, I will utterly hide my face. And they made us, Rabbi Nachman brought this down in Likutei Moran about that Hashem says if he's going to bring up a, a, he's going to hide his countenance. And when Hashem hides his countenance, what's Hashem's countenance? Hashem's countenance is a side of mercy. Hashem, the back, I'm saying this is again a metaphor. Hashem's countenance, when Hashem looks at us, he's looking at with the mercy. When Hashem turns his back on us, that's the side of severe judgment. And this is why in the priestly blessing, we say, The priest blesses that Hashem should shine his countenance upon us. When Hashem shines his countenance upon us, it's mercy, it's compassion, it's everything wonderful. And when it's Astera, and they made a song about that. Song about Rabbi Nachman. They took Rabbi Nachman's words and put it to a song. Okay, we know it's all Hashem. You know, it's all Hashem. And this is what Rabbi Barbara Khan is saying. Keep our eyes on Hashem, even though something that looks like it's concealed, Hashem is there. Therefore, all our prayers and all our petitions should be only concerned. But Hashem, don't turn your back on us. That's it. Because if Hashem shines his face on us, you don't have to ask for anything. <laughs> Hashem, you got it. You know, whatever you need. You can have good health and you have a good income and you have a good soulmate. You're going to have wonderful children. And if you're not married, you're going to have your soulmate. If you don't have children, you're going to have children. If you don't have a job, you get a job. It's all Hashem's sending. All the troubles in life is when Hashem hides himself. That's divine concealment. Divine concealment is the source of all our difficulties in life. And that is the whole metaphor of the whale. That uh, people are looking at an island. They don't see the true identity of fish. 
And the people are looking at troubles and they don't see the true identity of Hashem. And all you have to do is remember the first principle of Muna. He alone did, does, and will do everything. And then, oh, that's Hashem. It's not the trouble. It's not, it's a, that's Hashem. It's not my neighbor. That's Hashem. That's Hashem. And this is what the Torah says, Ein od milvado. And we wrote a whole book about that, three words of Amuna, just remembering that there's nothing but Hashem. Remember, there's nothing but Hashem. And you have and Hashem says, oh, you see me? You're with me? Okay. I can't, I can't hide from you. You found me. You know why I'm there. All right. But as soon as we discover the Hashem's there, and the great way to have Hashem shine his countenance on you is when you talk to him. Hashem, okay, you can play hide and seek with somebody else, and I play hide and seek with me. Because I feel you, Hashem, I'm not plugged into the wall. That's you massaging my heart. That's you making every impulse in my brain. And it takes 90 million brain impulses to raise a finger like this, 90, 90 degrees. 90 million. Where do we should want to read that? A million brain impulse. It's crazy. And every single brain impulse, that's 90 million messages from Hashem to raise my finger like that. Just try to think, how many messages does it take from Hashem to say one word? We're learning together to have Zoom and all this high tech and microphones and recording. Unbelievable what Hashem is doing for us and with us right now. Hashem, play games with other people, play games with people that aren't learning about it with that. Our group, our Liquor Temaran group, we know you are there. Hashem, Hashem, shine your continents as I'm teaching, I'm praying, I'm blessing that everyone in our group should be blessed. With everything wonderful, everything wonderful, Hashem shines countenance, countenance on on everyone that should be no more uh, divine concealment. Okay, so we continue. Rabbi Nachman says, "V'she'anuim olech agalut u'bechol yom anachnu tzuakim elav einam noshim v'yesh ma'amenu am Yisrael shetuim chas v'shalom belibam shekain atfilot ahem l'reik." Rabbi Nachman says, "Look, look, we see this." This exile is really long. It's going on. It's 1,953 years already since the destruction of the temple. And we don't see when the end is in sight. And a lot of people are becoming disheartened. They come to, to Israel. Come to Israel. Well, in Israel, more than 80% are, are, are secular. And maybe people, a lot of people that are traditional. They have this casual belief in Hashem. But uh, maybe... 20% of the population is praying every day. 80% of the population, they're not praying. And even at the 20% of praying, you can see people that, you see, their heart's not in it. It's in the middle of the synagogue. You see guys that check in their text messages, check in here, check in there. Would you go and speak to the prime minister of your country or the president of your country or be in an important business meeting, or you got an important customer, and you're about to seal a, a big, big billion dollar deal, a, a $10 million real estate deal. And in the meanwhile, you're playing with your social media, your sub chat room. You would do that. So why do that with Hashem? People do that with Hashem because they don't believe in the prayer, even though they're in the synagogue. And even though they should be praying, they're there going through the motions because, quote, religious, unquote, nothing we are talking about has anything to do with religion. We're talking about emuna. has nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with organized religion. We're talking about belief in Hashem, belief in prayer, our own personal relationship with Hashem. Nothing to do with that. But you can see that people, I use the example of synagogues, because there are people that are even seemingly inside the program, but their hearts are far away. Their hearts are outside the program. Okay. <laughs> And Rabbi Nachman says, wait a second, you guys are making a big mistake. Rabbi Nachman says, don't think your prayers are going to waste because every single prayer, and he says, in every generation, the tzaddikim, the big tzaddik that know what to do with their prayers, and would you think the prayers are going to waste? They're not going to waste. As it is written, Vayakam Mosheta Mishkan. Rabbi Nachman refers again to the passage in Exodus that Moses is erecting the Mishkan. Moses erecting the Mishkan, Rabbi Nachman says, everything in the Torah is not just a one-time thing that happened 3,500 years ago. It, it's happening right now that the Moses of the generation is erecting the Mishkan. That You can't see, it's not completely finished, but you see how long you go by a building site. 
and and they're building uh, some type of building. Sometimes two years, three years, maybe more, uh, less. It's the building. The holy temple is being built right now. And we believe this is our uh, 12th principle of Amunah, that Hashem is going to send Mashiach any minute. We know that any minute. Maybe that, that uh, your prayer, the prayer that you say tonight, or your session, personal prayer, it's going to tip the scales and put the last brick and, and the holy temple. We don't know. And so this is why you would do, we see the length of the bitter exile. And people make a mistake. People make a mistake. And they think uh, they think that nothing is happening. But wait a sec. There's something that when I was preparing today's lesson, boom, it hit me right now. Right, right there. If we look, the letters of Hebrew, there's secrets in every letter of Hebrew. It's the letter of the Bible. And Moshe... Moses, and and it was written in the Torah, it has a numerical value of 345. The mem is 40, and the shin is 300, and the he is 5. We take Mashiach, it has its two common letters with Moshe, the mem, the 40, and the shin, the the 300. And then instead of having a he, it's got a yudchet. Yudchet is 18, chai. Okay, so take 18 minus 5, the difference between Moshe and Mashiach is 13. And that's an indication. 13 is also the numerical value of the word echad, one. Shema Yisrael, Shem Elkin, Hashem echad, echad numerical one. Aleph is a one, chet is an eight, Adal is a four, together it's 13. 13 is also the 13 principles of Amuna. So we take Moses. We take the 13 principles of Amunah, because as we write in all of our Amunah books, that in order to pray, you have to have Amunah, because someone doesn't have Amunah, is not going to pray, not going to believe in the prayers. So when the 13 principles of Amunah get spread, and Moses spreads this, we're going to add the 13 to Moses, then we get 358, and that's Mashiach. That's right here. So that's the difference. In 13, this is what Moses is doing. Okay, now we can understand Rabbi Barbarachana's statement in the Gemurah. He says, Chazina l'chai kavra. It's an Aramaic. Okay, chai kavra, that big fish. What, what's it, who's that big fish? He says, that big fish, that is uh, all through all through Torah literature, fish is alludes to the tzaddik of the generation. In other words, in, in Hasidic, uh, Hasidic thought, one of the reasons that we eat fish on Friday night and Shabbat is because there may be a soul of a tzaddik trapped up in that fish and by eating that fish, because the fish are the fish are tzaddikim. The fish have to remember, where do we know that the fish are tzaddikim? Do you remember in the, when Hashem washed away the whole world at the time of the flood in Noah? And there was 40 days, rain, 40 days and 40 nights, Hashem washed away the whole uh, The only creatures that weren't destroyed were the ones that bore Noah's ark and the fish in the sea. Why? Because the fish in the sea did not sin. The fish in the sea, they did not sin. So since they did not sin, and time you know, the fish in the sea are uh, aspect of tzaddikim. They're going to be distinct. This is the one creation that the, the tzaddik is a fish. So they say, if a tzaddik did something slightly wrong, and a tzaddik has to come back for a soul correction, a tzaddik comes back in the body of a fish, and then when a family eats the fish for Sabbath, and they make a blessing over the fish, and they praise Hashem over the fish, this is a correction of the soul of Tzaddik. This is in Kabbalah, and it's also in uh, Hasidic lore. Okay, so this is an indication. We talk about this big fish. We're talking about the big Tzaddik also. The big fish, and it's Rabbi Nava says, Moshe Mashiach. And we said, hold, the Hebrew word for sand, the sand was on the back, that's hold. When it says Moses, in Parshat Vaitchanan, we said a couple of weeks ago, when Moses began to pray to Hashem, it's Vayichal. That Chol is an end Vayichal, it comes to the word that he began to pray. And so this is an imagery of prayer. The sand on the back of the fish is the prayers that we bring to the tzaddik. And this is... And why why does it look like a back? Because it looks like it, it looks like a, the back of the fish, because it looks like a has turned his back on us. And when it says Yatvet, Yatvet, that the sand they brought 
the, the sand to the back of the fish, that we bring our prayers to Moses, just as the children of Israel brought the components of the tabernacle to Moses, and Moses put them together. Now we continue, I'll say it in Hebrew and then again, Rabbi Nachman continues, he says, there was it looked like uh it looked like there were grass and roots coming up. What are these grass and roots coming up on the back? That these are we learned last week that when we pray properly, souls come into our prayer because they can be corrected. He said that a soul comes into a fish to be corrected, reading the fish and saying a blessing over the fish that elevates the fish. We have all kinds of souls that come into our prayer. When we pray properly, souls come in. And they want to tramp, they want to hitchhike, a hitchhike back up to heaven on our prayers. So we have the souls come in our prayers. These are the grasses that were sprouting up on the back of the whale. That's the meadow sprout. These are the souls that accompany our prayers. And this is indicated in, in Ezekiel chapter 16. Okay, because uh, Ezekiel gives a blessing in the name of Hashem that I cause you to multiply like grass in the field so that the souls are compared to grasses in the field. And that's the imagery. Rabbi Nachman is saying inside this imagery where it's brought down in the Gemara and Kabbalah. And we thought it was a dry land. What did it mean when Rabbi Barabachana said we thought it was dry land? He says, we thought our prayers are dry. They're not doing anything. They're, they're barren. Our prayers are dry. We, we said that our prayers are my nukvi and our prayers are like waters that quench the thirst of the divine presence. And so Rabbi Barbachana says the dry land is indicative of a prayer. It's dry. It's not accomplishing anything. And then he says, and what is the imagery when he said we went up on the island and we baked and we cooked? When we went up on the island, that's like saying our prayers ascend and they rise upward. And the more we pray, the more we build the divine presence. And then she prepares what happened, what, what did it mean when the whale got warm? Well, from the whale's back got warm. It means that the divine presence was getting warm from our prayers. And by getting warm from our prayers, the divine presence was preparing herself with union with the upper uh uh Personage with with the zeh, what we learned in the, the the upper sphere, and they come together like a man and a wife, and they cause a spiritual pregnancy. And what's born out of this pregnancy is abundance that comes down to us. And we see even the the whole thing of man and wife here, the whole body, the whole body. It's the people turn into vulgar, but it's something really are the marital relationship between a husband and wife. It's a metaphor for the divine, and that's why a man and a woman. There are two halves of one soul. As we write, that's why we, the, the, all through the bond of Amuna. That's everything we write about. It's all by Amuna. People don't understand Amuna in your marriage and Amuna in your prayers and, and Amuna in, in, in you're making a living. This is why we concentrate on Amuna all the time. Because without Amuna, you can't understand everything. There's no rhyme or reason. So then Rabbi Nachman says, Shishtalem kuma kol this is so beautiful. What did it mean when the when the fish turned over? The fish was on its back. That's what we see was a fish. So the fish got warm. The fish got warm from our prayers and turned over. Rabbi Nachman says that this is the divine present turning over and turning over rather than showing us the back, showing us the front. Instead of the back, which is a stern judgment, now the front, the side of compassion, where Hashem removes the concealment and Hashem shines his countenance upon us. And this is what's indicated here when saying that the, the, the whale's back had became hot. Because when the structure of the entire Shechina is built, then Hashem's compassion will be worn and the attribute of stern judgment will turn into compassion. And that's what Rabbi Nachman says, then Hashem, stern judgment is going to turn into compassion and that the stern judgment will turn into mercy. Not only that, there's something much, much deeper here. Ecclesiastes tells us, it gives us a spiritual Newton. Newton said for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Ecclesiastes says 
זה לעומת זה ברא השם. That this is a equal and opposite reaction. This is uh, the one that Newton, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, was uh, many hundreds of years after King Solomon. King Solomon told the same thing. If a person learned, that's why uh, you could learn out of out of Torah, you could learn theory of relativity. Uh, the Gaon of Vilna, he never learned a secular book. The Gaon of Vilna was a great physicist. His English last name was Kramer, the Gaon of Vilna. If you learn physics, you learn Kramer's law, that's the Gaon of Vilna. Okay, that's called Kramer's law. And there was a, something in physics discovered by the Gaon of Vilna. And to this day, nobody's approved. The people that learn physics all their lives, Gaon of Vilna, they never opened a physics book. But he knew everything, all the secrets of Torah. And this is the astronomy. It's, it's all in there, the secrets of Torah. It's, it's unbelievable, mind-boggling. That's a whole separate, an old separate lesson. But here, what happens is since every action has an equal and opposite reaction, there is the kingdom of evil. The kingdom of evil now controls the world. Okay, the Ukraine and the Russia, that's not from the side of holiness. That's because the kingdom of evil. Uh, North Korea, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They go, I go one by one, one by one. Where you have inequity, you have an inequality, you have injustice, you have apartheid, you have all kinds of nasty things. That's the evil, evil. What is going to happen, the great thing, that as soon as the holy temple gets built and brought down, that is Malchut Hashem, that means that the uh, majesty and the monarchy of holiness will come into power and evil will turn around and be destroyed completely. And that is what Isaiah tells us in chapter 16. When Mashiach comes, that the lion will lay down with the lamb and all the, all the imagery that we talk about what's going to happen at the time of Mashiach. That is because everything is going to, going to be holy. Nobody's going to need to pray and everybody's going to be satisfied and everybody's going to know Hashem. And what Isaiah also tells him, that all of humanity will have spiritual awareness. Now, here's the great news for everybody in our group. Guess what's going to be when Mashiach comes? Okay, if you're if you're Jewish, you're going to, you're learning now, if you're Jewish, then you're going to be either Rosh, the head of a yeshiva or head of a woman's seminar. If you're Noahide, you can have my brother, my sister, you're going to have thousands, hundreds of thousands of students because you're learning things that people don't know. You're learning the high, high level of Muna and Mashiach comes and they say, oh, you're, you learn Rabbi Nachman's teachings before Mashiach come. Okay, you don't know what's in store for you. you have no idea what's in store for you. And uh, if if people knew what was what would happen if they're learning from these lessons together, that we'd have big group. But it's would have this special elite group, and Bo Hashem have so much gratification from you, and Hashem certainly has joy from everyone here. So although it appears, Rabbi Nachman says, even though it looks like we can't say, okay, now we become proud and haughty. Our prayers are going to bring the Mashiach. Our prayers are going to bring the full redemption. No, even though we're praying, even though we're working hard, even we're learning, we still need divine compassion. We still need a chance to have mercy on us, mercy on all mankind and to bring us Mashiach. And this is what, Rabbi Nachman explains what Rabbi Babrachana says that if we're not, that we were near the ship, what he says, if I if we weren't near the ship, we'd have been lost. What is the ship? The ship is Sfinta in Aramaic, it's Sfina in Hebrew. Uh, Sfina corresponds to kindness. The Gemara says that sailors, sailors, since they have so much peril at sea, you don't have a sailor that hasn't seen a, a storm, a tempest, and the rocking thing like what happened in Jonah, the, in the book of Jonah. And so the Gemara says that sailors are on, on a righteous level. So the sailor on a righteous level is the level of compassion. They have compassion for one another. And what it means by being close to the ship means being close to the source of compassion. So Rabbi Varachana is saying, if we're still alive in this exile, it's because we're close to the ship. 
we're close to the source of compassion and Hashem has compassion on us and that he should redeem us. So this is now, Rabbi Nachman explained this Gemara from Rabbi Barhana, the imagery from Rabbi Barhana and the Gemara Baba Basra. Now we go back to the original passage that Rabbi Nachman mentioned uh, at the start of Torah Beit. It's explanation of our opening verse that Rabbi Nachman quoted that Hashem said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, let no priest defile himself by contact with the dead among his people. Okay, so Emor ala kohanim, and this is a Parsha's Emor, Emor uh, kohanim, to tell the kohanim, Rabbi Nachman says, Emor is an aspect of prayer, and the kohanim are an aspect of Torah. They're the Remember two weeks ago, we talked about every letter of the Torah is in the Shema. It's a soul. And Emor Kohanim, this is like the words of Torah being dressed up in the souls. And it also indication, it gives a lot of indication because the priests, the Kohanim, they represent the Torah. They represent the souls. And the prophet Malachi says this in second chapter. He says, the priest's lips guard knowledge and they seek Torah from the mouth. Okay, so what do we tell you? Why do you say Aaron? Who is Aaron? Aaron is the aspect of Mishpat. Because it's written, Aaron, he bore, he was the high priest, the Choshen Mishpat, the breastplate. The breastplate is called the breastplate of Mishpat. We learned that Mishpat is the divine justice and it's exactly middle of the road between mercy and severe judgment. It takes extreme mercy on the right. We're talking about the holy right. And it takes a severe judgment. There's still the holy left. It's a side holy left. Okay, it can't, justice doesn't lie. Uh, but it mitigates. There's mitigating thing. We said, for example, a guy gets caught speeding 140 miles an hour and a cop pulls him over. And uh, okay, speeding. 140 miles an hour, it's, it's recorded. Okay, they if they ask in court, you went 140 miles an hour. You can't lie. Yeah, he did. But there's a sign of mercy here. He says, my wife was in the back seat. She already, her, what is she, she's about to give birth. I'm speeding to the, to the hospital. I couldn't get an ambulance. So if the cop knows that, now the cop is going to lead the way. So here's the thing you can't have, when you have divine judgment, you have the 140 miles. The guy gets a book, but you have the fact that his wife's about to give birth. There was a good reason that he was driving that fast. And then in in uh, in accordance, that the divine divine justice is, is in accordance, has the right and the left. Okay, so now we can understand what Rashi says. Rashi says we have to, the big one, tell the little ones. What's the big ones? The big ones is the tzedekim, tzedekim the generation. Moshe, the great light. This is the great light that illuminates on the smaller lights, which is us. Okay, we have, we're smaller lights. Our prayers make lights. But Moses illuminates the light. He takes our prayers on the right path and puts them in the right place. And now we can understand why the Torah says, We learned in the beginning that in order to, in the beginning of Torah 2, in order to hit a bullseye, a person cannot properly pray if a person is defiled in unholiness. What kills holiness? Debauchery, uh, lewdness, lust. So a person has to be guard himself and has to be courageous and combat the evil inclination for sexual promiscuity. And this is the fundamental source of defi defilement that ruins our prayers. So when a person guards personal holiness, it's now it's echtom, that it becomes a spiritual fragrance that we said in the beginning of Torah 2, that Mashiach will be able to smell the awe of Hashem. When a person guards himself in holiness, he's got a, a spiritual scent. He smells like like citrus blossoms, citrus blossoms in, 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 in the spring. And this is where sages taught that when purity, Rabbi Nachman finishes this, and he brings a Gomorrah from Tractate Sota at the end of Tractate Sota 49a, there was an incident that the Torah related 
Rabbi Huna found some Hanunas dates. And he says, Hanunas dates, what, what are they? It's funny. It's called Chain. They come from Chain. We learned this in Torah Aleph, the favorite. It's called the fine, favor finding dates. These are these special, tasty, fragrant, super sweet dates. Uh, but the Gemara tells us that this was after the destruction of the temple. After the destruction of the temple, that the prayer, the fruit lost their fragrance, except for a true tzaddik that has the power to smell. Now, what do he has the power to smell? When a tzaddik can smell something like Mashiach, he can smell the fear of Hashem. When a tzaddik can smell something that nobody else can smell, that is because a tzaddik is on a higher spiritual level. And when the smell is very sublime and very subtle, that the, no one can smell it, because they, but the tzaddik can smell it. So Rabbi Huna, he found some of these dates that are very fragrant. They used to be very fragrant, but at the time, but when the temple was still was still before the destruction of the temple. And he found these the dates and he wrapped them in his shawl. Well, Rava, his son, came by, and Rava says, Hi, he says to his father, Rabbi Huna, he says, Father, I smell the Hinuna dates. I smell the Hayuna dates. <laughs> and so he smiled at his son and he says, My son, you possess purity. And this is Rabbi Nachman with this saying, You possess purity. It's like giving a blessing to all of us. And there he concludes. Torah 2, Bul Hashem. We have five lessons, and we've just now concluded Torah 2. Uh, it's about to thank you, Hashem, for the privilege of concluding another one of Rabbi Nachman's discourses. Everybody should have a wonderful week and a wonderful new year, and all your hearts wishes for the for the very best. Uh, this, in another 48 hours, uh, right after Shabbat, I'm going to be taking off for a two-and-a-half-week speaking tour to the USA which begins in California, be in San Diego and Los Angeles and continues on and the mountains, continues on to Chicago in Chicago for three days and then continue on to New Jersey and finally in Long Island with Chazak. Uh, and we look forward to seeing people there. You can see on Friends of uh, Rabbi Laser Brody on Facebook and on laserbeams.com, you'll be able to see the posters and those of you that have our, on our mailing list uh, get to find out where they are. And if you're in the Southern California or Chicago or uh, Central New Jersey or Queens, Long Island, we'd love to see you. And thank you, Rabbi Volby. Rabbi Volby and I will be in contact with that exactly. Uh, our rescheduling, I, we'll check when the clocks change in the US and in the UK and Israel will coordinate and we'll be announcing our summer schedule Rabbi Volbi, Bezrat Hashem, and our wonderful Likute Moran group. They'll be giving us updates. And I would take a special thank you to my beloved brother and teacher, Rabbi Arye Wolbe, for the Likute Moran group. It is so meaningful and it's so much vitality. And look forward to this, this Bo Hashem. And just everybody, we should all benefit. We're not learning living room, parlor, nice stuff. We're learning things that, to get closer to Hashem, to strengthen our Muna. And to just have a, a better relationship with Shem, a better relationship with Shem, and we overcome the concealment, and we you Hashem and Hashem shines His countenance on us, and all our hearts wish for the best.